Hello and welcome to Breaking the Red Tape. Today we will be talking about the criminalization of substance abuse disorders. It's impossible to talk about incarceration and substance abuse disorders separately when it is estimated that 50% of all prisoners meet the criteria for drug abuse or dependence. I'm Susan and with So why are we talking about this? Our project overall is looking at the intersections of homelessness, drug addiction, and incarceration. But today I wanted to look a little deeper into just the relationship between drug addiction and incarceration. Um, before we really dive in, I just wanted to give some context into this world of incarceration and drug addiction. For one, the war on drugs. First introduced by the Reagan administration, while there has been a lot of pushback in recent years against the war on drugs, um, it has had lasting impact on the way we see drug addiction and how the law system really sees drug addiction as something that makes someone a criminal instead of um, seeing it as a medical issue or a medical disorder, which is what it is. Um, another law that I think is important to think about is the three strikes law. This also um, can be seen as a product of the war on drugs and that it definitely created stricter laws and um, punishments for those who commit um, drug offenses and also other serious felonies. What's happened with this law is that someone might commit two serious felonies and then their third felony would um, be a drug offense and that counts as a serious felony that could could put them in behind bars uh, for the rest of their life. So that's another part of the law system that has made policing of drug addictions a little more unreasonable with the medical side of it. And lastly, something that I've seen in the news a lot and something that really got my attention, I think it was about two years ago now, is Kim Kardashian's advocacy um, in the case of Alice Johnson and other um, criminal prison reforms. Um, I had never really thought about it before, but I love all things Kardashian. So Kim doing that really um, opened my eyes up to the fact that there are people living in the country who are serving time for crimes that they've already you know, done their time for time over and time over. Her advocacy actually led to um, President Trump granting Alice Johnson a pardon, and it was just really amazing to see that um, this grandmother, this woman who made a mistake a long time ago, was able to set, be set free and live a normal life, and now she's an advocate for it, and it's really inspiring. So that's a little context behind uh, this issue. So let's dive in. The first thing that I really wanna do is just dispel the idea that incarceration is an effective way to prevent drug addictions or serve as a path to recovery. Because serving 
it fails to acknowledge how people suffering from addiction are suffering from a medical disorder. And, you know, you're punishing someone for their medical disorder. And, you know, you can't like, and it just kind of fails to treat them for that addiction. So I would like to start off by looking at a case study of a girl named Brooke Simmers, who became addicted to heroin, went to prison for only four months, and actually overdosed after she got out. So the reason that this story is really significant is because Brooke's father was himself a drug cop. He was a self-proclaimed war on drugs cop. It was what he was seeing every day. And then he came home and, you know, his daughter was suffering from a substance abuse disorder, the same thing that he was arresting people for on the streets during the day. Brooke's father did everything he could to help his daughter. He put her through treatment centers, rehab centers, and eventually, because he is a drug cop and he sees, um, because he arrests people every day, he decided to um, charge Brooke with a few drug charges and send her away to jail for a few months to see if that would help her recover from her addiction. Um, when in actuality, after she got out, um, she was really not recovered at all, and the first thing she wanted to do was get high, and that's how she overdosed. And the reason why she overdosed is because a lot of times when people go to jail or if they stay away from a drug for a while and they don't fully recover um, and they want to do it again, they will take the same amount, but their body just can't handle it. So that's what happened in Brooke's case, which is really sad. But I wanted to just play a clip from this video where someone from who was in jail with Brooke um, just kind of recounts on her experience and, and misgivings with how people fail to see how this drug addiction is a medical disorder. He had a child that was committing the same sins of the people that he had incarcerated. And he just couldn't get it. He couldn't get it. And I related very well because... I was also struggling with how do you make family members that do not have an addiction understand we are not doing this because we like it. Who likes this misery? Who wants to do this? So yeah, I just thought that was a really powerful part of the video because I feel like it really just sums up how they're suffering from an addiction and a lot of times jail overlooks that and it just sees him as a criminal. So there's a lot of other reasons, of course, why jail is not an effective um, solution to drug addiction. And if you look at it from a taxpayer standpoint, it really is just not cost effective. It costs significantly more from taxpayers to house drug addicts in jails rather than to implement supportive treatment programs. Someone with a drug addiction is actually more likely to return to jail for drug offenses 
multiple times if they are never treated. So this essentially means that you're saving money by treating someone who is addicted to drugs by not having to have them go through jail many times and house them in jail many times, as has happened before and is happening right now. Um, so another reason jail isn't effective is because a lot of times it's been thought that the threat of jail might deter someone from using drugs or becoming addicted. And um, I think the girl um, in that video really said it best when we're not doing it because we like it. You know, it just didn't really become a choice. So even the threat of jail might not really threaten someone who's addicted. And studies have found that there's not necessarily a correlation between more drug arrests and decline in drug use. So states who have really amped up their drug arrests, like New Jersey, they actually saw an increase in drug use. A big part of recovery is being able to assimilate back into normal life. And for people who have drug charges or have been to prison, that really isn't a possibility because they have it on their record and that'll negatively impact their ability to get a job or assimilate just back into society. Um, so in this way, incarceration almost seems to prevent a full recovery. And whereas, you know, treatment might help someone get back to society and get a job again and, you know, get back to their families. I feel like the bottom line is that prison isn't effective because it simply just isn't treatment. The most common service provided to inmates with drug addiction or abuse problems in federal prisons was drug and alcohol education. This simply is not treatment. <laughs> Being forced to be clean in jail for only a few weeks or months does not treat or end an addiction. In fact, like in Brooke Simmer's case, it is common for people to get out of prison and overdose within that next week. It's said that the most deadliest time for someone with an opioid addiction is within their first week out of prison. If we look at it as a medical issue, as we should, then we would realize that you can't solve drug addiction or a medical abuse disorder without treatment. It never really goes away unless it's fully treated. So after looking at what hasn't worked, which has been incarceration, I think it's important to also acknowledge that there are real and viable solutions for drug addiction. So a few states have reduced the sentences for some drug law violations, which kind of would de decriminalize those suffering from drug addictions a little bit. And some states have even made treatment instead of incarceration necessary. I feel like it's a better solution than just incarcerating someone, but I do know that it is really important in any treatment of any medical issue that it be voluntary. So it would depend on how voluntary it was and if the person with the addiction truly wanted to get over their addiction, if that makes sense, you know, instead of it being forced upon them. So what does effective treatment look like? Effective treatment is community-based treatment. That means 
having a network and community that keeps you accountable, that supports you, and makes sure that you're doing all right and that offers resources for you. After treatment or incarceration, a lot of times providing housing is really great, and the difficulty has been in that a lot of times housing is strict about being clean and drugs. So it would be nice if there was forgiving housing when it comes to being completely sober. Employment support is so important for those recovering from addiction or those coming out of jail um, because of drug offenses to help them assimilate back into society and get back on their feet and into the workforce. And another really important part of effective drug addiction treatment is also mental health treatment. And that's, you know, a safe place, a supportive place, and that is just reliable. I think looking at these solutions has given a little bit of hope into an otherwise pretty upsetting topic. So, all right. Thank you for listening to Breaking the Red Tape. Our next episode will be our final episode in this mini-series, and it talks about how these issues have all been affected by the pandemic. Thank you for listening.